Welcome to Dear Human Resources. In each episode, you'll hear about current HR topics and trends from experts, both practitioners and researchers, with the goal of giving you an insider's look at human resources. I'm your host, Marilyn Germain. Today, we welcome Janine Boyle, Chief People Officer at Zealous. She oversees all people and culture efforts, including talent acquisition, organizational design, talent management, learning and development, diversity and inclusion, compensation, and policy. She has more than 20 years of experience in HR roles, including senior leadership positions at Aurora Flight Sciences, which is a Boeing company, and Johnson & Johnson. Welcome, Janine. Hi, happy to be here. Thanks for having me. So we're going to talk about two HR topics with you. The first one is what we call the great resignation. And the second one is about onboarding employees virtually. So let's start with the term great resignation. Can you give us a brief explanation of what it is and why it happened in the first place? So the great resignation is the term that we use to talk about this period of time during COVID where we had a massive amount of workers leave the workforce or leave to go to other roles. And as I reflect on the last two plus years now of what that has looked like and the reasons for it, they are as numerous as there are people. Obviously facing a, a global pandemic, we in the early days had people with family demands or health demands that required them to leave the workforce altogether. Those dark days early on where we were in full shutdown or almost full shutdown, schools, childcare, you know, we had things that just weren't available to us, the support that we would normally have available to us. So I found that in the early days, we had a lot of workers leaving the workforce for those reasons. A lot of older workers left the workforce during that period, and a lot of these individuals are still on the sidelines. And so that's why we see all the headlines around the Great Resignation, that we have more roles and more demand for people than we actually have people who want to work. I've seen that start to make a turn now with some coming back, but still, broadly speaking, it's not enough. As I reflect on the last year or so of the pandemic, you know, we were getting back to a new normal, starting to come back into the office again, starting to travel. The thing that I think that people experienced was just a lack of fulfillment and the things that they would normally have that would help them decompress from work, the social connections that they would have, they just didn't have at all or or not enough of. And whenever we don't like our environment, we seek to change it. And people looked to other employers to, you know, maybe that's the answer. And so they left their employer altogether for hopefully finding something more fulfilling. If we read the most recent headlines, we're reading that, you know, there are more boomerangs. There are more people returning back to their original employer or perhaps didn't find the fulfillment that they needed because just going to a new employer meant that that new employer could have very much been struggling with the same issue and the same topics and that they weren't necessarily escaping those feelings. So I find that this is still remains a a period of really intense patience and empathy with one another because everyone is experiencing this period very differently. And I think getting under the hood and understanding is key to having a successful workforce. 
You're right. You know, in the U.S. alone, according to the job openings and labor turnover survey, which is released by the U.S. Department of Labor, the great resignation continued in 2022 as more than 4.3 million workers quit their jobs in February 22, following a series high of 4.5 million in November 2021. Now, you're the chief people officer at the company Zealous, which handles healthcare payment processes. In light of those millions of American workers who quit their jobs in 2021 and early in 2022, how have you managed to retain your best employees? It's a really important thing to understand about Zealous. We have about 1,600 employees and we have really diverse groups of types of, of our workforce. So everything from production environment to a call center environment to you know professional technical all kinds of different capabilities and while we're small in our workforce of 1600 we're really diverse in the type of workforce that we have so i would say the towering theme is that we have to take exceptional care of every single one of them and because they are all so different you know in the type of work that they do how they do it It also means that we have to be equally diverse in our offerings to make sure that we're meeting the needs of a diverse group of people. One of the strategies that I have and that I think about a lot is to really invest in high quality leadership and leadership development. So really making sure that our leaders and leaders in particular who manage people are very, very good at it. If I fast forward time and ask an employee, why they're here, you know, a year from now, what made them stay at Zealous, they're probably going to tell me something about having a great manager, a manager who really cares about them, or really loving the people. Those are the reasons that really build this kind of stickiness and connection to what people are doing. And so key to that is the manager. I want really, really exceptional leaders in these roles. So assessing them and developing them and helping them be their best selves, because we also know that this period is a huge burden on them as well. They are supporting a workforce through you know, the pandemic. So to take really great care of them as well. And the other piece is to just continue to offer a lot of flexibility and autonomy. And this is a period for just lots of patients and work with people as far as where they are. Again, we don't have many, you know, 1,600 people, but there are 1,600 stories there. And you know, some are struggling with their own health or the health of a family member. They're concerned. They're anxious. Others aren't anxious at all and feel great about coming into the office or taking a business trip. And I think meeting everyone where they are is incredibly important. Finally, key to retention would be that connectivity that people have with one another. And I think that that comes with diverse offerings. So we have business resource groups, which are community of practice around diversity. We have facilitator-led training sessions and lots of uh, community service activities and things like that that would bring people together. And I think about the employers from, you know, even just five years ago or 10 years ago where, you know, the coffee shop or the cafeteria was a place where people would congregate. I need to think about that differently because I need the same network creation to occur. I just need it to occur differently. And how are people going to get to know one another? How will you find out, you know, if you have a a passion for hiking, how will you find the other hiker? 
or birder or, or traveler or whatever your passion is. And so I find that creating these communities of practice, whether it's a book club or our pride group or black professionals group, have lots of offerings so that everyone can participate if they're interested. And that's where they really discover who one another are. And networks really can be successfully created even in a remote environment. And I find that that brings a lot of the happiness and stickiness of just human connection. How do you make that happen? Do you actually survey your employees to find out what they like, what they want? Definitely. Oh my gosh. So the feedback system, the continuous feedback loop is very critical during this period because almost by the time a piece of research is conducted or printed, it's over, you know? And, and so I look at it like I have the benefit of hearing from 1600 people all the time. So we do survey formally a couple of times a year, but I get out there and I talk to people about what do you want more of? What do you want less of? How did this land or that land on, on people? And that is critically important to what we do. We together will shape this environment into something that we know and love. And we all have a responsibility to do that. Like we all set the environment around us. And so people feel responsible to do that. And gosh, if you don't like something, you know, tell me, we'll stop doing it. If you want to see something else, go ahead and start it. So there's that great kind of self-starting innovative culture that we have. And, you know, when I started, I don't think we had any business resource groups in, in diversity and we now have six. So I'm really, really proud of that. And even other topics like, you know, people who like to travel and, and other elements of culture, they're finding one another. And that is super fun because they can connect on things other than just work. Now, you mentioned community engagement. Is that related to corporate social responsibility? Do you engage employees with, you know, nonprofits in your area? How do you make that happen? Yeah, that's a great question. So we are just starting this work now. So in just the second quarter of 2022, we're starting our environment social governance strategy and community service is a part of that. So we do want to make sure that we are serving the communities where we live and work. And so we do offer every one of our employees a volunteer day to, that they can take, not off, but they take it to go and volunteer. And with COVID hopefully subsiding and getting in the rear view, we'll be able to come together more to do that community service together. So we just did a survey that was asking about our associates' involvement in nonprofit boards, in how they're volunteering, what types of things they're interested in. So we're going to take all that data and crunch it and see what the common themes are to see what can we do across our enterprise and, and how do we support individuals if they, if they, again, prefer to volunteer on their own and still support them in doing that. So we're talking about things like a company match as well as you know time. And there's nothing more important than giving people time to do this because again, this ties people back to doing something really fulfilling. That's quite interesting because most organizations, when they select nonprofits to help or community activity to engage in, they try to link that organization or that activity to their own mission. But what you're saying is you let your employees choose, even if yeah. it's not related to your own mission as a company. So it's going to be a combination of both. We will choose some organizations that we believe have an enterprise impact where we have enough interest from our, our employees and our leaders. 
So we are a healthcare payments organization. So you can understand healthcare was definitely a towering theme that came from that survey. So we're still working on this, but I could definitely foresee something around healthcare coming. But there were other things that people were interested in, um, helping local animal shelters and things of that nature. And we'll support that too. Um, you can use your volunteer day to go and support that cause. And you can also, we'll also provide a company match for those causes, even if they're not related to that enterprise. To me, it's, it's really about engaging the heart and the heart gets engaged differently. And it's one day per month? It's one day per year that we give to um, an employee to decide how they'd like to volunteer. By the way, you're right. People do not leave their jobs. They usually leave their bosses. Exactly. Janine, let's turn to employee onboarding, which is really crucial for new employee success and retention. First, how much of your workforce work remotely? So during the pandemic, more than 90% of our employees worked remotely. Now that we're coming out of it, about 75% work hybrid, meaning they're in the office, but not every day. About 15% work fully remotely, meaning that we never see them or almost never see them. And about 10% come in very regularly, say five days a week. So, and, but even that group of 75% who work hybrid, they all work very differently. So some have a weekly presence. They may live near one of our locations, near one of our offices, and they're in on a pretty regular basis. Others may live a distance. And they may come in on a, on a monthly basis and still others may only come in for training or town hall meetings or larger scale kind of team meetings. So the thing is here is that it's really different depending on the individual, and depending on the role, which can make it a little bit more challenging to manage. But I also feel like it's the secret to the success of managing a remote workforce. So my second question is, how does virtual onboarding differ from traditional in-person onboarding? Yeah, so it is really different. And we have improved upon this. We've really taken a growth mindset as it relates to onboarding every single week, learning about what went well and didn't go well. And I'm sure a lot of my HR colleagues out there can empathize with me that, you know, early days, even getting someone's equipment to their home on time for their first day was a challenge in itself. And through a very, very talented people and culture team, we have accelerated that. And where we are today is in a really great place around, you know, kind of mostly satisfied any issues around the technical, but really want to communicate who we are from the very beginning. So our mission, our vision, our values, and then seeing that come to life over, over the Zoom and hopefully that first orientation being your first group of friends. So every, every week we could have as many as, you know, 15 or 20 people joining the company. And this is the first group of people who are going to spend the day together and get introduced and get to know each other a little bit better. We leave plenty of room to let that happen because as I mentioned, you want to mimic real life as much as you can. They might have stood around for five minutes before the session started to have a coffee or grab something to eat, and they would have ch chit-chatted with each other. And you try to mimic that as much as you can to make it really feel human. And I think I have someone incredible in um, leading our onboarding uh, management, and she's done a really great job of just using common language, of making it feel really comfortable. No one has to wear a mask here. You can be exactly who you are and behave like exactly who you are and bring your whole self. 
So we put that out there right from the beginning to make it feel just really comfortable. And then we also don't look at onboarding as just day one. Um, We look at onboarding as the first 90 to 120 days, you know, the imprinting experience, I like to call it of, you know, how are we developing those sticky experiences, introducing people to others, really making this feel like a fun, comfortable place to work. So that would include things like introducing new hires to senior leaders, giving them time and visibility and exposure to hear about our strategy and how it plays out in different parts of the organization. And again, introducing our uh, new associates, our new employees to places where they can connect on a more informal basis. So we use Yammer and several different Yammer channels to talk about different topics. So kind of like an internal Facebook in a way, or an internal communication mechanism where people can just chat and you can find the communities that you're interested in, or you cannot, if that's you know not your thing. Again, these things are completely optional, but just trying to bring a little bit more of that informality to, uh, to work and trying to capitalize on doing that remotely using the technology that we have. So in a nutshell, what advice would you give HR professionals who now have to onboard employees virtually? I reflect on this a lot as far as, you know, who are the friends that I've made throughout my career? There are people who I worked with, you know, 20 years ago who um, I still see and network with. And I think if I only knew them virtually, you know, if I had only worked with them in a remote context, would I still, would you still have that stickiness of relationship? And so I try to think about those experiences as much as I can, the things that will break down any kind of barrier from a technology perspective to really help people understand who others are in the organization and help them navigate the organization pretty easily. So to, again, to mimic that cafeteria line, I think that is the kind of place to go. Again, leadership development. So for your people leaders, the leaders who are really exceptional at bringing on a new employee, introducing them to the other parts of the organization, being available, especially in those first 90 days to help them get through those, that sticky, you know, that kind of more sticky or challenging period. And then introduce them to all the other communities that we have, whether it's diversity or engagement, other ways to get involved if they'd like to. And we are a pretty social community. So even something like our executive leadership team recently traveled to Florida and we invited everyone to come in for a community service day. We packed uh, care packages for those in the military. We spent some time doing that. We spent some time just getting to know one another and kind of had smaller, you know, mentoring circles that day. So to be really, really thoughtful and strategic about how you do use the face-to-face time, because it may be very limited, might be very small, but to use it powerfully and then to mimic the old world experiences through technology every bit as much as you can. You feel that working virtually has actually benefited your company? I have to say that it has. I think that it's given us an ability to recruit from a larger talent pool. So If we were face-to-face five days a week, we'd be limited to certain regions or certain cities in where we operate. This has allowed us to recruit talent all over the country. So I I see that as a huge pro, Um, just it gives us better access to talent. But our company has grown tremendously over the last two years. And about two-thirds of our workforce has joined in the last two years. So they all joined us in this COVID kind of pandemic environment 
So they are a resilient group of people who've persevered through a pretty challenging time, despite being new, have contributed to our massively growing, successful organization. And so there's a part of me that wouldn't change a thing. I mean, I would not wish a global pandemic on anyone, but I wouldn't change a thing. And so I want to keep building upon what we're doing. I want to make sure that it's still working for our employees. And I want to go slow as it relates to really changing anything. Because I think that people are really appreciating that flexibility and autonomy. And again, you know, the, the results are in the numbers. I mean, so that the company has really thrived. So there's a part of me that's like, don't change anything. But of course, you can never stop changing. So make sure that we're growing in the right direction. Speaking of recruiting talent, you, you mentioned you onboard on an average 10 to 15 people a, a week sometimes. What advice would you give to HR professionals who are really struggling to recruit top talent right now? So I think that talent acquisition is of the highest strategic importance that it ever has been. So I think really investing in those capabilities and making sure that your talent acquisition professionals have everything they need from a tools and resources and, and support perspective, because they may need to talk to you know, three or four times as many candidates as they did before to find the right candidate or fill a role. And I have seen talent acquisition professionals get very creative about engaging with the external environment and, and candidate pools. So I think really helping support them is an incredible strategy right now. And the other piece that, that of advice that I would give is, again, it kind of goes back to that high quality leadership and leadership development, but having leaders who know how to partner. This is not an order-taking environment. We're not going to be successful that way. And I think our leaders who know how to partner with talent acquisition, who know that it's a shared responsibility... They have their own followership. They have their own networks. How do we together tap into everything that we've got, uh, use social media and branding together? I really think that, that is, that's the secret. This isn't a, here's the order that I have for the product leader that I need. It's really a collaboration together. And I think it always has been. I, I started my career in talent acquisition, so I know how important it is. I also know how hard it is. It, it got a lot harder. So how, what do we do to prop them up? And then what do we do to train leaders on how to recruit? Being a talent magnet, there's no time like today to be a talent magnet. So everyone can turn up the dial on that a little bit and um, help attract talent to your organization. Very true. Thank you, Janine, for your insights on the great resignation and the best practices to onboard employees virtually. Thanks so much for having me. It was fun. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dear Human Resources. In each episode, you will hear about current HR topics and trends from experts, both practitioners and researchers, with the goal of giving you an insider's look at human resources.